Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest talk on splenic anomalies from splenosis to polysplenia to everything in between. And this is part two. In the last part of the first talk, we spoke about these pancreatic incidentalomas and the fact that ectopic spleens can really cause all sorts of problems. Now, things to think about. Non-functioning neuroendocrine tumors are typically hyper-enhancing, but with uniform or ring-like enhancement and greater enhancement on the venous phase, and also that neuroendocrine tumors don't match the spleen in terms of enhancement, while accessory spleens do. We also talk about metastatic disease to the pancreas, like from renal cell carcinoma, but again, the washout there is much quicker. You don't have the moray pattern, and you typically would have an absent kidney. So things are a bit easier in that scenario. If you're uncertain, uh, things you can do. A triotide scans are very good for picking up neuroendocrine tumors. So if you're not certain if this is a neuroendocrine tumor or a splenule and you still can't make up your mind, tag red blood cell studies are very good but occasionally Arctria scans can be done, and if they're positive, then you're not going to have too much of a problem. So again, it's a very important um, potential pitfall. I don't see it all that frequent in practice. Most of the time we're good, but I have seen a couple cases a year where patients were about to go to surgery or referred to Hopkins for surgery, and it ended up they simply need to be watched because, or not even watched, not even followed because they had accessory spleens and no evidence of these incidental neuroendocrine tumors. So again, it's a challenge, but I think when you're careful, uh, it's something that's easily managed. So a few examples. This was read as a lesion in the tail of the pancreas. You see the pancreas here, and as you go across, there's a one centimeter lesion, which you can see here, and you go back right there, there it is. And you have to admit, you might think about a neuroendocrine tumor, that's good to think about, but you see how it looks like the spleen early and looks like the spleen late? It's classically washing up and out like the spleen, the location, a great location, to think about a neuroendocrine tumor, but this was a splenule. It was not an insulinoma. This patient ended up with a distal pancreatectomy that wasn't necessary. Here's another example. Again, you think about a vascular lesion. Could this be a neuroendocrine tumor? But honestly, it looks like it's pushing on the gland. It washes out fairly quickly. It's on that undersurface where it's more likely to be an accessory spleen, so it's typically not going to be a problem. Another example, small lesion by tail of pancreas. You can see some of the vascularity, though it's a subtle lesion, but it looks just like the spleen. It's not the brightness of a neuroendocrine tumor on either the arterial or venous phase imaging, so it's a leave-alone lesion. This one's kind of great because this is one of the largest ones I've seen. This was sent for resection of a neuroendocrine tumor tail of pancreas, and if you look at the axial views quickly, it looks like a mass the tail of the pancreas. But again, look how much it enhances like the spleen. And as it washes out, it very much looks like the spleen. It's never as bright as your typical neuroendocrine tumor that we think about. So it's typically not going to be that. Here it is again. Look how bright it is, but it looks identical to the spleen. And this was a five centimeter splenule. 
Um, in this case, they ended up doing surgery because no one wanted to leave this alone. We call this a splenule, which it was. Another patient here, you see a lesion by the tail of the pancreas. It's kind of coming off the tail or maybe part of the tail. But when it sits like that, you've got to really be thinking it's a spleen. Here it is nicely. The enhancement pattern very much looked like the spleen on arterial phase imaging. There it is again on the arterial going toward venous. You see the texture is the same as the spleen. It's kind of on the undersurface. And then when you go to the venous phase, you can see how it begins to wash out. And so it's really another nice example of a large lesion. Now, I want to also make the point that occasionally accessory spleens, this patient had an accessory spleen which was called an adrenal lesion. It was called an adrenal lesion on a chest CT because you didn't have the whole adrenal. When you scan further down, you recognize there's the normal adrenal and you have this lesion, and then you think about that it's an accessory spleen. So it's something to really consider. Here it is nicely again, and the computer uh, again shows you the spleen, shows you the splenule. You need to be careful, okay? It would be by the left adrenal, but when you look at this set of images alone, you could easily call an adrenal lesion, but then when you look a bit further, you find the adrenal, and you know it's not an adrenal lesion. It's not a lesion coming off the adrenal. It's simply going to be a pancreatic lesion. Again, look at the enhancement on these images. Very similar enhancement to the spleen based on the individual phase. Now, I mentioned another thing we see is splenosis, which is typically ectopic splenic tissue caused by autotransplantation of splenic cells resulting usually from trauma or potentially from surgery. They're typically more numerous and widespread than accessory spleens. Remember that splenosis can also affect areas like the lung, it can affect the soft tissue, anywhere where splenic tissue may have gone. It could be in the pelvis, for example. Here's the medical definition, I like this. A rare condition in which fragments of tissue from ruptured spleen become implanted throughout the peritoneal cavity and often undergo regeneration and vascularization. A very nice definition. Here's a nice example. Now remember splenosis, there are often multiple splenules present. You can see here, often they're variable in size. There's one up here as well. They typically don't just cluster, but they're in many places. And if you scan further down, you see some of the more inferior ones. You also see one on the omentum. You could imagine why this can be confused with an omental implant, very nicely shown there. So again, an absent spleen makes it easy. You might have a history of trauma, you might not. It may be trauma when the, kid, when the person was a child 40 or 50 years earlier, but multiple splenules and an absent spleen and some good enhancement. Here's the 3D showing you the splenules in the splenic bed, as well as to the left of midline by the omentum. And again, you can see why it potentially can prove to be a pitfall in terms of diagnosis. Here's another example. Remember I mentioned that one of the good quiz cases people show you is a pulmonary nodule that ends up being an accessory spleen or splenosis. Here you can see what look like pleural implants. It looks like malignancy, these is all splenosis in a patient who had prior trauma. When you have trauma, particularly with injury to the diaphragm, you have lots of implants and they really can look aggressive. It's very important to remember that possibility. Again, a key thing for you is knowing that the spleen is absent, okay?
very, very important. And here's just some nice views. And with splenosis, just like with accessory spleens, there is typically enhancement, though often not as bright as accessory spleens. Here's another example of splenosis. You see these implants along the GE junction, almost looking like tumor of the lower uh, esophagus and GE junction. But these things here are all simply going to be splenosis with multiple implants on the stomach, on the diaphragm. Again, you can see where splenosis at times, if you're not careful, can look like carcinomatosis, and you can particularly be confused. And we've seen many patients worked up aggressively or biopsied for something that was of no importance. And here's just a few more images showing you the splenosis in that specific case. Now, if you're not certain, again, tag red blood cell studies. Here's a good example. This lesion by the stomach. We knew it was splenosis, but there was a nuke study. Um, the spleen was missing. Good example. But you can see in this case, not every lesion lights up. Perhaps it's right here, so maybe it is lighting up at the edge of the film. But again, splenosis, if you're uncertain, tagged red blood cell studies can be very valuable. When you have splenosis due to trauma, it's typically not just one spleen, there are multiple, and they'll be in multiple locations from the pelvis to by the diaphragm, to the splenic bed, to even in the lung parenchyma. Another example here of splenosis sitting on the tail of the pancreas, and you could see, boy, this is a tough call. This can look like a neuroendocrine tumor, so it can be somewhat challenging. We've seen splenosis and splenules from trauma where the patient's spleen was partially resected, as in this case, or the patient had trauma and never ended up with a splenectomy. So it can be a particular challenge in those cases, to be quite frank. Now with splenosis, you can see it in the pelvis. Here are some nice examples. You can think about this as Castleman's disease, lymphoma, lots of possibilities. So at times, as we mentioned, when you have splenosis from splenic trauma, it can be a difficult diagnosis and a very confusing diagnosis. Again, very nicely shown. Uh, here it is where you see some of them not only in the pelvis, but by the right kidney. So you know patients have uh, hemoperitoneum, extensive bleeding, splenic injury. You can have implants anywhere and everywhere. And it's the unusual appearances that typically will cause the problem in terms of diagnosis. Here's one toward the left lower quadrant. And again, when you look hard, there are multiple small lesions present. Again, with splenosis from trauma, it's rare to see a solitary lesion. There are usually multiple lesions which can enlarge with time. But again, if you're uncertain, nuke studies can be very, very helpful in that regard. Here's a good example of splenosis near the cardiac border. We spoke about lung, we spoke about pleura, we speak about paracardiac masses. But you can see, boy, that's a tough lesion. You can think about lymphoma or other possibilities. This was biopsied, actually, and was splenosis. So again, a very, very important diagnosis. And again, appreciate, in this case, how it's sitting on the liver and the range of appearances of this process, which can be very tricky and not very obvious. Usually, the requisition doesn't say rule out splenosis. Another example, left lower quadrant, not a surprise. Here it is again. You see the spleen's absent, left upper quadrant, as well as the same study, left lower quadrant, seen very nicely on the axial and coronal views. 
as, as long as you think about splenosis, you're typically not going to make mistakes of saying there's a mass. I can't rule out metastasis. I can't rule out uh, carcinomatosis and implants and everything else. So you'll be going with the diagnosis. I think it's splenosis. If they need to prove it, that's fine. But you're not going to be chasing down a patient with a million-dollar workup. And here's the same case with 3D. Another one uh, with splenosis near the tail of the pancreas. And as we mentioned, this is a larger one. But you can see where if it was a little higher up, it could easily be confused with a splenic lesion. Here it's sitting near bowel. We've seen splenosis push on bowel on the colonoscopy or even on virtual colonoscopy, uh, simulate a tumor, something implanted on the bowel, kind of very much like when I spoke about endometriosis with pseudo lesions present on the bowel. Same thing could happen with splenosis. Again, enhancement will help you narrow the windows, get early phase imaging if you're thinking about the diagnosis. And here you can see it very nicely in the left upper quadrant. Now it's interesting, sometimes you see it with a other findings. Um, we have seen with laparoscopic surgery, with distal pancreatectomy and splenectomy, patients have omental infarcts, not uncommon. Here's an omental infarct. You can see that mass effect almost simulating a tumor, right? But it's soft tissue and has fat. We know the appearance. But there's a splen you will also see. So a wonderful example of omental infarct as well as an accessory spleen. Very nicely shown there. Now, other things, polysplenia. Now, in some sense, you could say, well, we have splenules, that's polysplenia, that's a lot of spleens. Or accessory spleens, that's a lot of spleens. But polysplenia is different. It's really a complex syndrome consisting typically of situs ambiguous with features of left isomerism. You have multiple spleens in the right or left upper quadrant, but it can be single, the spleen can be lobulated, or could even be a normal spleen in theory, but the ones we typically think about are the polysplenia, where there are multiple spleens present. You can see anomalous position of abdominal viscera, a short pancreas, abnormal bowel rotation, or cardiovascular anomalies. The polysplenic syndrome is defined by the presence of multiple spleens, usually between two and six, in contrast to accessory spleens, the spleens are uniform in size, but truthfully, accessory spleens can often be uniform in size as well. Accessory spleens usually measure 1 to 2 cm uh, and are not considered a form of polysplenic syndrome. Splenosis, an acquired rather than congenital condition that rises in the context of trauma, can usually be ruled out by the patient history. So they're making the point that when you see multiple spleens, you could think about accessory spleens, you could think about splenosis, and you could think about polysplenia. The syndrome of polysplenia is often accompanied by a variable spectrum of visceral and vascular development abnormalities. While it is estimated that 2.5 of 100,000 infants are born with this anomaly, fewer than 5% are alive at five years of age because of the severe anomalies. The syndrome is associated with multiple congenital malformations that may involve the solid organs of the GI tract, may involve the heart or the great vessels. Among the most common vascular anomalies are a genesis of the suprarenal IVC, with persistent continuation of the azicus vein and pre position of the portal vein, biliary atresia, 
uh, can be found in about half the cases. And annular pancreas is also associated. Here's a nice example of a patient with what looks like a second aorta, but that's the azagus, right? And the azagus is markedly dilated. As you scan downward into the abdomen, you then see multiple spleens, what looks like a normal spleen, but then multiple spleens. That's polysplenia. You don't see an IVC intrahepatic. That was interrupted IVC with polysplenia. Look at all the spleens. Now, this breaks the rule that they're all supposed to be the same size. They're kind of in nearly the same size, but that's not the answer. And again, here it is very nicely on the coronal perspective. A really good example. Now, if you looked at this case interactively, you can see, look how dilated the azagus is, and it's azagus continuation of the IVC. There's no intrahepatic IVC seen on those images. Very nice example showing you that. And then if you look at it from the coronal perspective, you would end up seeing the same process. Basically, you'd be able to see the azagus, which is really dilated, and then following it down into the abdomen. So it's an important diagnosis. Sometimes it's a bit tricky if you only have one set of images, then it can be problematic. If you have a second set of images, it's not going to be a problem. And here again, I'm just showing you that um, interrupted IVC with polysplenia. Just a very nice example. And you can see we'll scroll back and take a better look at it right there. Okay. Now, other things to think about, and the last thing I'll leave you with is a wandering spleen. The spleen migrates from its normal position due to congenital required laxity of the splenic suppensatory ligaments. This patient is at risk for twisting of the pedicle and splenic infarction. It's a rare defect. Um, patients present, depending where the spleen is, from left lower quadrant to right lower quadrant to right upper quadrant pain. CT is very good at making the diagnosis. It should be kept in mind when CT shows the spleen to be absent from the usual position and a mass found elsewhere in the abdomen. On the CT, if you look carefully with 3D especially, you can track the splenic artery, but sometimes ultrasound will be helpful. Here looks like a mass in the mid-abdomen, and what you're seeing here is that's the spleen. You see the splenic shape? but this part is infarcted, this part has perfusion in this patient with an acute abdomen. And look how nicely you see it on the coronal view. There's the splenic artery, you see the splenic artery comes down, going with the spleen. And there's the spleen, right? Classic spleen, splenic shape, perfusion, and infarction. Just a beautiful example, here it is with cinematic. So what you're seeing is a wandering spleen which twisted on its pedicle and infarcted half the spleen. This patient ended up with a splenectomy. It's a classic diagnosis. The clinicians will never consider it. We see, I mean, I've seen like a couple cases in all my years. This was a couple of years ago. Uh, it's an unusual diagnosis, but a great case. It's a great quiz case, obviously, but it's a great case also to be able to make the right diagnosis. Here's the spleen down to the right. There was the splenic artery, very nicely shown. And you can see this as you go through the cinematic renderings very nicely. So again, a really nice diagnosis. The arrow shows the splenic artery. And there it is on the sagittal view. So just a really nice example. So I've now gone through you with several things. We've spoken about accessory spleens found in up to 20% of patients. Again, the challenge is occasionally 
they're near the tail of the pancreas, simulating a neuroendocrine tumor, or they're intrapancreatic. So it can be a challenge. Most of the time, it's very easy. Again, the key thing is looking at dual phase and watching it enhance just like the normal spleen. We spoke about splenosis. Typically, the spleen is absent because the patient had trauma, and it can present anywhere from the left upper quadrant to the pelvis, to the lung, to the pleura, to the cardiac region. We spoke about polysplenia, which is really a syndrome, again, associated with cardiac disease as an example. Uh, multiple spleens, often in patients with situs inversus, uh, so something to consider as a possibility. And I didn't show you any cases of asplenia. It's rare, but simply you have an absent spleen in a patient who's not had a splenectomy. It's also associated with situs ambiguous and multiple anomalies, including cardiovascular anomalies, uh, that are typically more complex than those in patients with polysplenia. So it is going to be important. And finally, I showed you a wandering spleen, which is rare, but you could be a superhero like we were when we made the right diagnosis. So I hope this helps you thinking about uh, the spleen. I typically show splenic tumors or splenic infarcts and splenic abscess, looking at differential diagnosis of variable splenic tumors. But here is not tumors, not infection, not infarction, but variations in anatomy and potential pitfalls on a daily basis. And with that, have a great day. If you like this video, make sure to subscribe to the CTSS YouTube channel. You can also visit us at ctss.com for even more videos, plus quizzes, pearls, protocols, and oh so much more. We're also in the App Store and have well over a dozen apps for iPhone and iPad, all completely free. Thanks for watching.